Welcome to the Life on Word podcast. I'm the host, Bailey Brown. Through this podcast, I hope you fall more in love with God's Word as it is properly understood. If you want to dig deeper into Scripture and see the big picture of God's story, you are in the right place. In these episodes, I want you to see how deep and wide Scripture is and what a joy it is to study God's Word. Life on Word exists to encourage you to build all of your life on the Word of God because it is the only worthy foundation. For more resources relating to studying the Bible, theology, and discipleship, check out baileylbrown.com. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Life on Word. Today we are going to begin looking at Matthew chapter 12. This is another chapter that has so much for us to study and talk about, so I've decided that it will be another two-part episode. And really, as we get to the middle of Matthew's gospel, there's probably going to be several two-part episodes. In chapter 11, we read about Jesus reaffirming his identity to John the Baptist after he suffered some doubts while in prison, along with Jesus' rebuke of the crowd for their disbelief in him. The chapter ends with Jesus giving a loving invitation to true rest for all who are weary and burdened. Now in chapter 12, we will begin looking at the rising opposition that Jesus continues to face from the religious leaders. By the end of this chapter, the Pharisees will have determined that Jesus needs to be killed for the claims he is making. With that, we'll get started, and as always, I'll read the passage and then we will break it down. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath." He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. 
I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, we witness a big moment in Jesus' ministry where the underlying opposition from the religious leaders escalates to an open confrontation. Throughout his ministry, Jesus has been encountering resistance from the religious authorities, but now we see their opposition becoming more direct. These leaders, driven by a misguided sense of duty to uphold God's law and protect the people, attempt to trap Jesus by accusing him of violating the Sabbath, a sacred day of rest and holiness. The concept of the Sabbath is rooted in God's commandment given in Exodus 20 verses 8 through 10, where it is ordained that the seventh day of the week is to be kept holy to God, devoid of any work. However, the Pharisees took this commandment to an extreme by creating an intricate framework of laws intended to prevent any potential violation of the Sabbath. Jesus' encounters with the Pharisees in this passage resonates with the patterns of his authoritative teaching, such as back in his Sermon on the Mount, as he goes directly into the heart of God's intent and purpose behind the Sabbath. Keep in mind what Jesus had just addressed in the previous chapter. It was the people that are weary and burdened due to the legalistic obligations of their traditions. Jesus confronts the Pharisees for how they have done this to the people, and now they are trying to trap Jesus for not playing by their rules. It's in this context that this first controversy unfolds. As Jesus and his disciples walk in the fields on the Sabbath, the disciples, driven by hunger, pluck heads of grain to eat. The Pharisees seem to be following Jesus closely to see if they can find a fault, so they seize the opportunity to accuse him of permitting work on the Sabbath. In verse 2, Matthew records the Pharisees saying, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Jesus' response to their accusations is not an outright dismissal of the Sabbath's significance, nor is it a proclamation that God's law has changed. Instead, Jesus critiques the system that has evolved around the Sabbath, and the system has become so dominant that the true essence of Sabbath has become hidden. The Sabbath was instituted to ensure that God's love for His people remained uninterrupted by their over-eagerness to engage in unnecessary work. The core intent was to benefit humanity. Jesus then goes on to cite two Old Testament examples to make His point and defend His disciples. First, He refers to the account of David, who, when fleeing from King Saul, ate the consecrated bread, which was technically forbidden. However, neither David nor Ahimelech, the priest who provided the bread, were condemned for their actions. And you can find this account in 1 Samuel 21 and 22. This example highlights that the spirit of the law is to serve God's people, not to have them serve the law itself. Second, Jesus further contrasts his disciples' actions with the conduct of the priest in the temple. 
he points out that the priests, who are responsible for offering sacrifices, regularly perform work on the Sabbath as part of their duties. This apparent violation is tolerated within the law due to its alignment with God's overarching purpose. Here, Jesus emphasizes that the Pharisees' rigid interpretation overlooks the flexibility that is present within the divine law. Jesus then makes a profound declaration about himself, saying, I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. This statement underscores his authority and divinity. He draws a parallel between the priest's work in the temple, which is permissible even on the Sabbath, and his disciples' actions. Jesus positions himself as being above the temple, implying that his mission and his ministry supersede the temple's significance. Now, this statement would have undoubtedly stunned the Pharisees. The temple held unparalleled sanctity in Jewish culture, and for Jesus to claim that something greater than the temple was present challenged all of their established beliefs. By referencing the story of King David from 1 Samuel 21, Jesus conveys two big messages. First, he establishes his role as the true king, anointed yet not formally enthroned, which parallels David's experience in that account. This allusion to kingship underscores Jesus' divine authority and the fulfillment of prophetic promises. Jesus' comparison of himself to King David is especially daring considering David's revered status among the Jewish people. Drawing such a parallel implies Jesus' confidence in his divine mission and aligns himself with the messianic expectations that surrounded David's legacy. Remember that the Jewish people were looking for the Messiah to be very much like King David. Secondly, Jesus suggests that both he and his followers are of greater significance than even the sacred temple. This audacious claim challenged the prevailing religious norms and would have for sure triggered a significant uproar among the Pharisees. Jesus' third response comes from Hosea 6.6. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. This verse encapsulates God's intent for the Sabbath. It's to be a day of rest and relief from burdens. According to the Old Testament law, the disciples were not guilty of breaking the Sabbath. They were only guilty according to the Pharisees' interpretation of the law. See the difference? Jesus here confronts the Pharisees' interpretation that burdens the people with strict rules, diverging from the compassionate essence of the Sabbath command. He critiques their tendency to add human-made traditions that contradict the spirit of God's law. Further, Jesus proclaims, For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This statement deepens our understanding of His identity and His authority. Jesus isn't challenging the Sabbath law itself, but rather the interpretations that distort its purpose. Jesus, as the Son of Man, asserts His role as the one who can rightly interpret the Sabbath law and fulfill its true intent. The Sabbath's fulfillment is found in embracing its principle of rest and liberation from burdens, rather than this rigid legalism. The narrative then transitions to another Sabbath controversy, 
We know from Luke's gospel that this controversy happened on a different day from the previous one. This time, in a synagogue, Jesus encounters a man with a withered hand. The Pharisees seize the opportunity to question Jesus about whether it is permissible to heal on the Sabbath. Now, this was a contentious topic within Jewish debates at this time. The question was whether Sabbath healing is permissible only in life-threatening situations or if it was okay in other situations as well. The man's condition clearly isn't life or death in this case with his withered hand, so he should not be healed on this day according to how the Pharisees interpreted it. Responding with a counter-question, Jesus challenges their priorities by asking whether they would rescue a sheep in distress on the Sabbath. This question taps into the ongoing debate among various Jewish groups about the extent of Sabbath observance. Jesus' point becomes clear. The Sabbath isn't just about abstaining from activity, but it's about extending goodness and mercy. Without hesitation, Jesus heals the man, driving home his principle that acts of compassion are never out of place, even on the Sabbath. This healing action intensifies the conflict. The Pharisees' response is no longer mere disagreement. They plot to kill Jesus. Their readiness to resort to such a drastic measure shows the weight of Jesus' actions and teachings. The Pharisees wouldn't have considered putting a person to death over a mere difference in interpretation of the law. So this means that they must have clearly understood the messianic claims Jesus was making about himself and his authority. They perceived Jesus' actions as blasphemous and heretical, deserving of death. While Jewish law prescribed death for extreme Sabbath violations, the Roman rule over the Jews limited their authority to execute this penalty. The Pharisees' intent to convince the Romans to execute Jesus reflects their desperation and growing determination to eliminate him. In the end, we will see how they are successful in convincing the Romans that this man Jesus must be killed. In response to the Pharisees' threats, Jesus withdraws from the area. This withdrawal is not a sign of retreat, but is rather a calculated move, postponing the time when his predicted betrayal, arrest, and death will unfold. Jesus continues on in his ministry because he carries a narrative in his heart, and that is the narrative of the servant, as foretold in Isaiah 42. In spite of the brewing storm, Jesus continues his public ministry, engaging with the large crowds. He heals those who approach, all the while instructing them to keep his identity a secret. He is cautious because he doesn't want the people to misunderstand his messianic identity. Though they were waiting for a Messiah that would come in and overthrow Roman oppressors, Jesus did not come to do this. He was not there for mere national or military liberation, but for something even better. Matthew wants to make this clear in this section. Using his common prophecy fulfillment formula, Matthew now introduces the longest Old Testament quote within his gospel. Through this passage, Jesus is identified as the servant Messiah of Isaiah chapter 42 verses 1 through 4. I want to read these verses again here. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. 
I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. These verses captured the essence of Jesus' mission. This servant Messiah emerges with a ministry that extends to both Israel and the nations. The recurring phrase, the one I love, in whom I delight, echoes back to big moments such as Jesus' baptism and anticipates his transfiguration, which we'll read about in a future chapter. In both occasions, the Father expresses delight in his beloved Son. The quote from Isaiah firmly asserts Jesus' mission. He is the gentle, spirit-endowed, suffering servant who advances justice to the nations. And this aligns perfectly with the new age inaugurated by Jesus, and that's the age of the Holy Spirit. Jesus comes as the Messiah not only for Israel, but for the entire world. However, as we have seen, his approach is in stark contrast with the popular expectations of conquest. Instead of forcefully demanding allegiance, he extends a gentle invitation, especially to those on the brink of exhaustion, the bruised reed and the smoldering wick. The servant Messiah has a way about him that is so unexpected among the people. Rather than being domineering, he approaches the wounded and the weary with healing and compassion. The servant's intent is clear to offer ultimate victory to those who respond to his call to enter the kingdom. Jesus is bringing the restoration of God wherever it is needed. He does this by gently leading the people into God's healing love. Just as Isaiah states, Jesus is the one in whose name the nations will hope. Though Israel tends toward arrogance and is bent on using violence, this does not change how Jesus fulfills his mission. Okay. This marks a good stopping point in chapter 12, so we'll now wrap up and look at some applications from what we've read today. Every time that I'm teaching about how to read and interpret the four Gospels, one of the first things that I say is that we are not to immediately go looking for ourselves in these Gospel accounts. Rather, our first question of application should always be, what does this passage tell me about the person of Jesus? And I think we can learn quite a bit about the heart of Jesus in this account. First, look at his run-ins with the Pharisees on the Sabbath. They were obsessed with legalistic rule following, not because of an intimacy they felt with the Father, but because it made them look good on the exterior so that all could see. They had gone beyond the laws laid out in Scripture, adding in their own stipulations for how to be in good favor with God. And their attitudes just showed a real lack of compassion for their people. But when you think about it, this sounds like the total opposite of Jesus. All throughout Matthew's gospel, we've seen Jesus have compassion on the people, even in the midst of them misunderstanding and rejecting him. Jesus makes it evident that the foundation of God's law is love and goodness. The Christian life is about being committed to a person rather than to a set of do's and don'ts. And it's a person of complete and perfect love that we are committing ourselves to. Look at the beautiful picture of Jesus that Matthew paints by applying the Isaiah passage of the suffering Messiah to Jesus and his mission. 
Jesus will not break the bruised reed, the ones who have been abused and hurt. And he will not snuff out the smoldering wick, the ones that are on the brink of giving up and are out of resources. This Jesus cares for the weary and burdened and gently and humbly invites those in need to come and find rest in him. Consider that this is the king that you serve. As you go about your day, consider how you can follow Jesus' example in bringing the goodness of God into the darkness of this world. Today we began our study of Matthew chapter 12. We saw how the Pharisees accused Jesus and his disciples of breaking the laws of the Sabbath. This led to Jesus powerfully confronting them, comparing himself to King David, and saying he is greater than the temple itself. The Pharisees had had enough of Jesus' messianic claims. Thus we see for the first time that they began plotting to kill Jesus. Matthew quotes Isaiah 42 here, showing that Jesus is the suffering Messiah that the people had been hoping for, even though he looks different than they thought he would. Tune in next time as we finish up Matthew chapter 12. The opposition of the Pharisees continues as they ask Jesus to give them a sign to prove his identity. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share it with your friends. For show notes and resources for studying the Bible and theology, go to baileylbrown.com.